chapter, uh, there's a, a, a fairly simple uh, thing at work here, and that is uh, the, uh, the, uh, the progress and the walls are being built well and quickly, and uh, Nehemiah has uh, withstood, and even the people, if you, and this is commendable to the people uh, that were there doing the work, uh, the Bible says even they were uh, able to withstand some of the uh, criticism, the incitement, the threats, if you will, from those that opposed the work that they were doing. And uh, these weren't people who were quickly shaken or quickly uh, discouraged. Uh, but Nehemiah, and I, I believe that a lot of it is because of Nehemiah's leadership. Uh, I, I remember hearing my dad years ago say this. He said, you know, I don't have the same talents that, every, that some of these other preachers that are well-known around the, the country and the world have. He said, I don't uh, have the same talents and the same gifts and the ability to do some of the things that they can do. But he said, there's one thing that I can do. He said, I can be just as faithful. And I thought, you know, that's a great truth. I think that's taught throughout Scripture is uh, God doesn't give everybody the same abilities and the same gifts and the same uh, uh, talents. And, but He does require all of us or expects all of us to be faithful. And I love the story of the talents, how that because of uh, the man being faithful in a few things, not because he produced a lot, but because he was faithful in a few things, God gave the reward of making him ruler over many things. And the importance of faithfulness, the importance of saying, you know, uh, Nehemiah wasn't uh, a big wig. He wasn't a, uh, one of these guys that people looked at and said, boy, there's just massive talent there. Nehemiah was just a man who was faithful. And always would turn to God when there was an issue or a problem. And, um, and he, I believe he was an encouragement. And I've said this so often before. Uh, we teach on our testimony and how we need to be a testimony. We teach how we need to, to not do things in our life and keep our lives clean and pure. We talk about things we ought to be doing. And oftentimes I think we just get in our minds that our life is, is really only affecting us. And it's really just between us and God. But the truth is, uh, our influence affects more than just us. It's amazing how many lives we touch and the influence that we are to them. And Nehemiah, I believe, uh, is, is a catalyst, uh, an example, if you will, of faithfulness. And I believe that it has caused the people to be emboldened, uh, to, to, be, to stay by the stuff. And uh, I would encourage us... Uh, we've got a generation of young people coming up behind us that whether we understand it or not, whether we want it or not, they're looking at us and they're watching. And uh, we need to be a testimony. We need to be an example to them of being steadfast. I was, uh, I, I'm going to save that till the 11 o'clock hour, I think, but I, I, was, I was thinking this morning, no, I'm going to go ahead and share it. We, we may not get very far here. The rapture could happen before the 11 o'clock hour, and then it'd go unsaid, you know? I was sitting back here this morning and just kind of preparing, getting my thoughts ready, and, and just making sure I'd, and spending some time. And I got to thinking, we, we have an opportunity that possibly a couple folks may come today uh, that are lost. And uh, I thought, Lord, how in the world can we adequately... Uh, share and, and, and in a very clear way help them understand and see their need for a Savior. And I began to think on the issue of faith and trusting 
And um, I remembered a time, and, and this was just something that came to mind. I remembered a time a number of years ago I was taking some, uh, some young people, uh, some, some uh, high school seniors on uh, their senior trip, and we went to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And, uh, you know, teenagers, they like to do fun stuff. So we went to the, uh, an amusement place called Wonderworks. I don't know if you ever heard of that or not. So you ever seen that upside-down building? It's built upside-down, and they got amusements in there, and it's uh, kind, of, kind of a neat little place to go. And uh, in the inside of it, they have a, a rope course. And uh, big ceiling goes up, I think, 60 feet or 50 feet, something like that in the air. And um, it's got all these things that you can climb on, and they put you in a harness. And this harness goes up, and they have these steel I-beams that your harness rolls on. And you've got this thing, and you hold on to it. And you can walk on little bitty small things that are there, you know, 50 feet in the air, and things that move and sway and swing. And uh, I thought, boy, that's, that's a fun thing. And so I, they were like, uh, Brother Greg, you're going to go? And I was like, no, not me. And they said, you chicken. I said, well, you're right. Uh, and uh, so, but no, I caved into peer pressure, I have to say. And so they got me to go on this thing. And I thought, oh, that's no big deal. I mean, you, gotta, you got this steel thing. And you got this, this, this lanyard that's, that's like anchored. It's rated for like 850 pounds. And I didn't weigh that much. So... I thought, well, man, this thing's going to be easy, piece of cake. I'll just march right up to the top because in my mind, I know that, hey, if I fall, this thing's going to catch me. No big problem. And it did really good for about the first 20 feet. But, you know, the higher I got and the more my mind perceived the danger of the situation I was in, the less trusting I was of that, that lanyard. And I got up about 30, 35 feet, and there was this little thing that was swinging and swaying, and I thought, I see all these kids going up there, little kids, like six, seven years old, marching up it like nothing. And I thought, I'm going to do that. So I just started to go out there, and I step out on the first one, and it's swinging around, and I'm holding, I think, no problem, I'm holding this lanyard. I have never in my life experienced paralyzing fear until I took that second step. And I'm not kidding you. I stood there for 10 minutes thinking, how am I going to turn around and take that step back to that solid platform? I thought they were going to have to send the rescue people up, and I could only imagine the newsprint the next day. You know, pastor has to be rescued from rope course that was already holding him. And I got to thinking on that this morning. You know, the, the more we perceive the urgency, the, 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 the severity of the situation we're in, the less we're able to trust that which is there to save us. And I thought, you know, we like to talk about faith and trust in the Christian life, but there comes a point in all of our lives where our faith gets shaken. Think about Peter. Peter was asked to step out of the boat and walk on the water. And I imagine he, he had that firm grasp of faith in the Lord. When you, you say, we, you know, we criticize Peter for this. He had the faith to get out of the boat. I don't know that I would have had that faith. He gets out of the boat at the Lord's command. A lot like I did on that thing. Boy, the first 10, 20 feet, man, that lanyard's going to hold me. No big deal. But the Bible says when he saw the wind and the waves and all this stuff that was going around, the danger element got, got bigger and his fear got bigger. And his faith became less. You ever notice that fear is always the enemy of faith? Always. If there hadn't been any fear, I'd have marched all the way to the top expecting that thing to hold me no matter what. But I got to a certain point and I thought, there's a slight possibility that if I fell, this thing would snap. I began to question it. Can I tell you this? 
I use that as an illustration to hopefully show us something, that it's easy for us to trust God for the small things. When it comes to the really big things, the things that matter in life, are we willing to still trust Him? The things that really cause us to worry and fret. I was talking to a lot of people this week about the unrest over in the Middle East and the the situation in Afghanistan. All these things that are happening, people down in Haiti that are going through some things. we got a huge hurricane heading towards our New England area. Unbelievable things happening in the last week or two. And people are calling me saying, Pastor, what does this all mean? Is the Lord coming back? And you can almost hear the anxiety in their voice. You know, the greater the, the, the fear, the less our faith is. And um, I think these folks in, in Nehemiah chapter 5 are no different. The greater that these people come in opposition, the less uh, they are to have the faith. And I believe this is why it's so important that there be some people that say, I'm going to have faith regardless. And I think Nehemiah is one of these men. He, he doesn't let these things bother him. If they do, he, he comes to the Lord and it's very very quickly that his faith is restored because he knows where to go. We get to chapter number 5, and the Bible says there was a cry of the people and of their wives against the brethren the Jews. For there were they, uh, for there were that said, uh, We are sons and our daughters are many, therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their cry. And these words. So basically, what was happening was some people had to make a living, and they're great. The, the work's going on, but you still got to feed your family. And some of these people had to mortgage their lands to pay their bills. Understand, in this time, if you couldn't pay your bills, oftentimes you mortgaged your children. You sent your children into bondage or into slavery, or they would call it uh, uh, a servanthood, and uh, they would become somebody else's um, servant for a period of time. And to try to lay, to work and labor and, and work off the debt. And so this was going on. Some of the wealthier and more affluent folks in the area were taking advantage of this. They were gaining lands. They were foreclosing on them. They were taking these people's children. And Nehemiah was very wroth because he's, he looks at this and he says, What a distraction. All this stuff that we're trying to do for the Lord, and this is what you guys are doing with each other? This, this should have been the last thing on these people's minds. They should have just all worked together and tried to get this thing done. So we get down, and the Bible says in verse number 8, And I said unto them, We after our ability have redeemed our brethren the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen, and will ye, yet, yet even, uh, will ye even sell your brethren, or shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace, and found nothing to answer. And I said, It is not good that ye do. Ye ought, not to walk, ought ye not to walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the heathen? Our enemies, he said, look, what kind of a testimony is this? 
We've worked hard and God has delivered and we've been able to redeem our people from the hand of the heathen only to go and put yourselves back into bondage with one another. What kind of a testimony is that? And Nehemiah kind of gets along to him, doesn't he? And then he says, if we get over to verse, uh, verse number 12, Then said they, We will restore them and will require nothing of them, so that we will do as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. So the people followed Nehemiah's uh, example and Nehemiah's uh, um, uh, corrected, correction that he did. And then Nehemiah was not one of these fellows who said, I want you to do as I say, but not as I do. Nehemiah said, look, I, I'll, I'll join you on this thing. I'll give, I'll give up some things as well. And verse number 14, we find that Nehemiah was a man who said, I'm not going to take, even though I'm the governor, I'm not going to take the governor's bread. Moreover, from that time, I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year even unto the, uh, even unto the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes the king. That is 12 years. I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. But the former governors, they had been before me, uh, were chargeable unto the people and, and had taken of them bread and wine beside 40 shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I because of the fear of God. He said, listen, God, God will take care of me. I'm not worried about these things. Yea, also I continue in the work of this wall. Nehemiah was saying here that that would have been a distraction for me. If I had taken my ease and sat up there as a governor and let the people support me and take care of me, he said, uh, what kind of example would that have been? But he continues to work, verse number 16, on the wall, neither brought we, uh, bought we any land, and all my servants were gathered thither under the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 of the Jews, Jews and rulers, besides those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. Now that which was prepared for me daily was one ox, Six choice sheep, also fowls were prepared for me, and once in ten days, store of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor, because the bondage was heavy upon this people. Think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. So Nehemiah is sitting here, he says, look, I'm not going to require this of the people. Now the people did take care of him. Uh, he was taking care of a lot of people. He had people sitting under his table that he had to care for. And he was dealing with some of these things. So chapter 5 is basically saying, listen, there's some things that we need to work on internally that are a distraction from the work of the Lord. We're not battling the heathen in this case. We're battling one another. And I would say this, the lesson I find in chapter number 5 is this, that while we fight the wiles of the devil outwardly, and there are things certainly that we're in spiritual warfare about every day of our lives, sometimes those battles are internal. Sometimes they're inside of ourselves. They're our own battles that we fight. There are some things that we need to make sure we are careful of on the inside. And Nehemiah just deals with some internal issues that needed to kind of be do some internal housekeeping, if you will. And from time to time, we need to stop. And in the midst of our Christian life, our, our walk with God, we need to stop and say, Lord, search my heart. Find out if there's some things in, inside of me, in my inner man, that need to be dealt with. I know outwardly we fight the Christian life. We try to live right. We try to do right. We try to be an example. We try to be a testimony. But occasionally we need to get in a quiet place and look inwardly and say, are there some things I need to deal with? And I believe that we see something like this happening here uh, in uh, the, the chapter number 5. Now, as we get to chapter number 6, 
uh, it says that, Now it came to pass, when Sanballat and Tobiah the Geshem and, uh, and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat the Geshem and unto me, uh, uh, and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in, in some of the villages in the plain of Ono. Uh, but they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Boy, what a great response. Wouldn't it be wonderful if when Satan tries to sidetrack us, we'd have that kind of response? I am involved in a great work. I'm not coming down off the wall. Why should the work cease while I come down immediately? I, I think it's humorous almost that the place that, uh, that uh, these fellas chose to meet in the Valley of Ono. And uh, it's almost like Nehemiah says, Oh no, I'm not doing that, you know. And, um, but I love Nehemiah's response, don't you? Why should the work cease? The question I find over and over again in chapter number 6 is, what does it take to stop you? We've asked that question a number of times in this book. But there's five things that, that, that uh, Sanballat and, and Tobiah and Geshem all try that I, think, I find are very, uh, very typical of the things that Satan does in our lives to get us to quit. The first one is found in uh, verses three and four, uh, 2, 3, and 4, and that is they try to change our focus. They try to change our focus. Nehemiah's uh, focus is on the work that God's given him to do. And Sanballat said, listen, I want you to come down and let's talk about this. Let's dialogue. Let's, let's have a discourse. By the way, can I encourage you in this? We were called by the, by the Bible, I understand this, that we were called to proclaim the Word of God, to declare it. We were not called to sit and debate I've seen people that get involved in endless debates and spend hours and even days and weeks and months of their time in debate with one individual, while hundreds of people who would be open and willing to hear the gospel are sitting there dying for somebody to tell them. And we end up losing our focus sometimes. Satan gets our, our focus off of the thing that we ought be doing and put it on some things that are perhaps peripheral. And it's amazing to me how how apt we are, how susceptible we are to make the minor things major in our lives and to take the major things that we ought to be focusing on and make those kind of the minor things in our lives. And for some reason, our old flesh nature is very susceptible to this. We find it happening in churches all the time, don't we? I'm thankful we have fellowship times, and I'm not opposed to having some church activities throughout the year. I think those are great, and those are fine. But I see churches, and I was in a church just the other day, uh, where uh, they were having uh, a special uh, meeting, and they had a special celebrity coming in for this special meeting, and they're all about all these, these entertainment things that they want to provide for the people in their church. And I thought they spent so much time focusing on trying to entertain their, their crowd and congregation. I'm not talking about just in the service. I'm talking about in life in general. They were constantly about being the social center of their, their congregation, uh, that this is where the families go for their entertainment throughout the week. And can I tell you this? We weren't called to entertain the world. We were called to preach the gospel to every creature. And, and we, we tend to take those things that are minor, and I'm not saying they're, un, they're, they're not at all to ever be involved, but they're the minor things of the church, and we make them the major things. 
And then we take the things that are of preeminent importance and we make those kind of the minor things. And Samballot says, hey, uh, I don't like what these guys are doing. Hey, come down. Let's, let's, let's have a talk about this. Let's meet for lunch. Let's have a cup of coffee. Nehemiah says, wait, this is a great work. The reason it's a great work is because it's the work God's given me to do. Why should I come down and the work cease while I come down and talk to you? And Satan always tries to get us to lose our focus, doesn't he? He tries to get us to take our eyes and put them on something else that's unimportant. It's amazing to me how little it takes to distract us. Uh, any of you, anybody here borderline ADD? Look, squirrel, something shiny. <laughs> in the middle of talking sometimes, something will happen. I'll be in mid-sentence. I'll be like, hey, blah, 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 and I'll start on something else over here sometimes. What happened? I got distracted. And Satan does that, doesn't he? A lot in our Christian lives. How easily he distracts us from our eyes being on the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it can take that much time in the middle of rush hour traffic to get our mind off of Christ. All it takes is one person doing something dumb with their car. And for the next four hours, we're stewing over it. And Satan laughs. I use that as an illustration, but how often our focus is, is quickly manipulated, isn't it? Nehemiah, I love his answer. Not coming down. The work's not going to stop. And the reason is he had a right focus. He looked at the work and he said, this isn't just some busy work. This is a great work. Because it's the work God's given me to do. It's going to remain the focus. It's going to be the thing that I set as preeminent. Now, there are four other things that happen in this chapter that Sam Ballot and Geshem try. But you're going to have to come back next week to find out what they are. I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. All right? Cliffhanger. I'll give you a hint. They all start with the letter F, okay? So we've dealt with focus. That's number one. All right? And uh, we'll come back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. But, um, but folks, seriously, there is so much that we learn from Nehemiah, don't we? I mean, just I love, I love studying his life. What an example. Not perfect. Not perfect. But such an example of steadfastness and keeping his focus where it belongs. And I want to encourage us in that this week. Let's bow our heads. Father, we're so thankful for your word, what it teaches us. Lord, we ask that you would bless and use it. And uh, Father, help us to become more of what you would want us to be, that we can please you more by the way that we live our lives. And Lord, may we not just be hearers, but that we would be doers of your word. And uh, Father, bless the service to follow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to mention, I know most all of my books got taken the other week. In fact.